Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. From KQBD in San Francisco, I'm Nina Kim. Coming up on Forum, performance reviews are underperforming. And for years, observers of workplace culture have predicted the death of the annual ritual, calling it ineffective, unpopular, and often biased. But some companies are trying to make it better. Does more constant real-time feedback sound good to you? Or the use of AI to monitor your emails or productivity? We'll talk with workplace experts about the future of performance reviews and hear from you If annual reviews are broken, what do you think should replace them? Join us. Welcome to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Are annual performance reviews the best way to evaluate and motivate talent? Or are they, quote, the dumbest thing that American companies do, according to Dan Walker, former chief talent officer at Apple, who ended them decades ago? Matthew Boyle of The Wall Street Journal described them as a time-consuming, backward-looking, box-ticking process that often reveal more about the rater than the person being rated. Yet many workplaces still require them. And the crux of someone's career can be how they're evaluated. So today we take a closer look at performance reviews, why they're so hated, why they persist, and what impacts artificial intelligence or remote work are having on the review process. Joining us are Lori Nishira-McKenzie, co-founder of Stanford VMware Women's Leadership Innovation Lab. Lori, so glad to have you with us. Thank you so much for having me and, and having this great conversation. Josh Burson is also with us, corporate talent, human resources, and technology analyst, and author of Irresistible, The Seven Secrets of the World's Most Enduring Employee-Focused Organizations. Josh, glad to have you here as well. Thank you, Mina. Very interesting to talk about. Yeah, well, let me start with you, Josh. Why do people dread annual performance reviews so much? Even when they know it'll be a positive review, it can be awkward. Nobody likes to be evaluated by somebody else. (laughs) I mean, there's just a built-in human fear. And um, unfortunately, the reason people don't like it is companies have used it as a process of forcing people into buckets of performance, um, forcing managers to evaluate people in ways that they don't necessarily feel are positive for the employee. And it, of course, impacts your future pay. It impacts your future promotion. So it's kind of this high stakes, high risk process that nobody really likes, but has been around for a long, long time. So 
Um, many, many things, as you as you will talk about, can be done to make it better. But I don't think it's ever going to really go away myself. But we can talk mm-hmm. about that. Yeah, well, that's interesting. Yeah, you've talked about how managers can't typically judge an entire year of work. So the annual piece of that is not very effective. Well, Lori, what about you? What's another reason performance reviews are basically underperforming in a lot of employees and their managers' eyes? In a way, we expect way too much from a performance review. We expect them, as you were saying, to help us figure out who deserves a promotion, who deserves a raise. It's supposed to give you feedback on how you did for an entire year. And the review is also supposed to help you grow into the next year. And one of the challenges is that we don't really train managers how to give good and productive feedback. Hmm. So we put all this pressure on them to perform their job but don't really support them in what I think is the most critical job, which is supporting the people to do great in your organization. Yeah, I want to invite listeners to join the conversation and find out if what you're hearing from our guests is reflective of your experience with performance reviews. What would you do to improve them? You can tell us by emailing forum at kqed.org. You can find us on our social channels at KQED Forum. We're on Twitter, Instagram, our digital community on Discord. You can call us at 866-733-6786, 866-733-6786. So, Josh, you said that you don't think performance reviews are going away, and they have persisted. So there must be something valuable about them. What is valuable about a performance review, at least in theory? Well, I mean, I think the reason um, they're, they're questionable is there has to be a philosophy as to why is the company doing this. And we've done research on this for a long, long time, and there's essentially two alternative philosophies. One philosophy is, and this goes back to the 1960s and 1970s and the days of Jack Welch, we're going to do performance reviews because we're going to weed out 10% of the people every year, and we're going to figure out who the top performers are. And so it's going to be a competitive assessment process. We're going to have forced distribution. In other words, you're only going to make, you know, only 10% of your people can be rated the highest or some number like that. And that means everybody's competing with everybody else for high ratings. But, you know, some companies like that. I mean, investment banks run that way. There's a lot of companies that thrive on that culture. But that, you know, has changed over the last two or or three decades. Most companies are not interested in doing that anymore because there's such a shortage of talent. So now the reason for a performance review philosophically is to improve performance or to coach people or to make it a performance development conversation, not a performance evaluation conversation. I think the problem is the philosophy tends to start at the top. And if the CEO wants to create a competitive culture, he or she and his or her head of HR may in fact, you know, make the process very, very difficult on people. And they may, that may be the purpose. Mm. And the reason think this process is going away is first of all i've been doing this a long time and it just never does go away is that eventually in companies you have to make decisions who's going to get promoted who's going to get a raise who's going to get this cool job who's going to get this assignment you know during a layoff period or a downturn who are we going to have to let go how do you make those decisions if you have no system or data to make them so so i think even companies that pretend like they don't have one of these it's still happening it's Mm -hmm. just happening little conference room, you know, maybe without a number around it. 
That's so interesting. And and Lori gets to your point earlier about what you're saying that we use performance reviews to do way too much more than they should be used for. And you've also talked about the importance of a company understanding why they're doing them at all. Do you often find that they don't know really what the the purpose of of their performance review is? You know, Mina, we do a lot of work with organizations at our lab to try to diagnose barriers in order to create new pathways that have, for example, less bias in them. And when we go to these companies to say, you know, would you be interested in doing a research project with us um, in your performance review, we might ask, so what do you want to accomplish with your review? And what's really interesting is if you go around a leadership group, you might get as many different answers as there are leaders. And I think that speaks to it trying to do too many things. And another habit we have as humans is that we rely on the past. What we've learned from our performance review experience before, and it's really hard to imagine what else could this process be. So I'd say that perhaps we've had a lack of imagination about what this process could be to support our organization's like thriving and as and our employees growing and weeding out bias so people don't have differential experiences mm. in their organization. Well, let's talk about what that process often is, which is that an employee is asked to submit, a, you know, sort of a self-evaluation of their work. And then a manager is asked to respond to a series of questions, sort of open-ended questions about the employee. And these questions are designed to kind of be universal across whatever roles in the organization. You've talked a little bit about how just that very structure alone can invite problems. What problems have you seen, Lori? You know, one of the phrases I use is open box means open to bias. Mm. And when people are asked to just fill in about performance, what we don't realize is that stereotypes about performance have us write reviews differently. So for the exact same performance, we might, for example, use different language for the way men and women perform the same duties. And certain words have more value in our organization. And we don't realize that often in male-dominated tasks, we use more of those important words for men. We might not realize we write more specifics for men and give very vague feedback to women. Or across difference, there's a lot of concern about remote workers having uh, managers provide less specific feedback for them. So there are so many ways our brains write or see performance differently. And the more open-ended reviews are, the more likely those biases will creep into the process and eventually harm certain people's career or give other people a career boost for the exact same performance. Interesting. We had a segment um, about hybrid work uh, not that long ago. And one of the things that they did find was that women are often dinged for not being maybe on the Zoom call or something like that. And the assumption if they're not immediately available is that they're doing something non-work related. And I was struck, Lori, in reading your evaluations of performance evaluations, that gender gender bias is still so persistent. Things like you're finding that women are often way more um, criticized for the way they communicate, while men are criticized for different things and in other performance categories that are often more relevant to the actual task. Can you say more? Absolutely. About that? Yeah. Absolutely. So there's kind of two sides of performance. There's what you did, 
and the perception of how you did it. And there tends to be more bias in the valuation of how the work gets done. And what people don't realize is that their brains are seeing the exact same behavior negatively for a woman. I'll give you an example from someone. Um, she was a high-performing woman, and she was doing great with her team. And her team loved working with her. And her manager said to her, you need to really think like a leader stop talking about your team's performance. You need to claim all those accomplishments as your own. And she didn't see work that way. She saw work as a team effort. What we see in, around bias is that we tend to see leadership as an individualistic trait. You're a team leader, not a team player. And women are more likely to be seen as a team player. And therefore, when we think, who should we give this next promotion to, to ensure that this function gets handled well, we think, who's the team player? So all those words mixed together. Now, the solution isn't just to describe people differently, but to rethink what we think good performance is and what good leadership is. And when we're really thoughtful and slow down and think broadly, we're less likely to bring those biases into our process. Lori Nishira McKenzie is co-founder of Stanford VMware Women's Leadership Innovation Lab. Josh Burson is corporate talent, human resources, and technology analyst. And you, our listeners, are part of the conversation as well. What do you think of your organization's performance review system? Has your employer tried to change it recently? If you conduct performance reviews, what has worked for you? What hasn't? What would you like to see replace them? Have you ever been surprised by a review that you got or detected any bias in the process, either gender, race, age, ability? Email address forum at kqed.org, phone number 866-733-6786. You can find us on our social channels at KQED Forum. I'm Mina Kip. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking this hour about why so many people dread the annual ritual of the performance review and how to make it better with Josh Burson, corporate talent, human resources, and technology analyst, and Lori Nishira McKenzie of the Stanford VMware Women's Leadership Innovation Lab. And with you, our listeners, let me go to caller Alex in Santa Clara. Alex, you're on. Hi there. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Um, so I am a, a principal engineer at a large automotive company, uh, one of the biggest in the world. So I've uh, 25 years of experience. I've been st- 
stewing in this uh, sort of corporate culture for a long time. I'm actually in the middle of a performance review right now. Oh, wow. Um, and so, uh, so one of the things that I find is absolutely indispensable to an effective review is the company, and this is incumbent on the leadership team, has to have established uh, critical performance metrics. Like some companies use KPIs, key performance indicators. Some use OKR, objectives and key results. Um, and if those are not established before the period for which you're reviewing begins, then you've opened the process to the bias that we're talking about and a much more subjective requirement of whose manager likes who and, you know, all the sort of political nuances that, that are outside of what the company is actually trying to achieve. So mm. effective management requires good understanding of pro- program requirements, what does success look like, and having a, a reasonable timeline for achieving those, then a very transparent and clear way to evaluate their own performance, evaluate the performance of their team, their managers, et cetera. So that was my thought, and I'll, I'll take any of your comments off the air. Thank you. Alex, thanks so much for that comment. And it makes a lot of sense, right, Josh, that you know the best way to evaluate your teams is by clear metrics with a manager who understands what you're doing. But in so many workplaces, supervisors can be very removed from the day-to-day work of the people that they are evaluating or overwhelmed by other demands. What can they do in that instance when they can't really evaluate a worker accurately or provide effective feedback because they're just, you know, not really aware of what those core metrics of that person's work are? Well, this gets back to the comment I made earlier about why are we doing this process in the first place? <clears throat> and if the company has a project goal, I assume, you know, the, the, the caller is working on a pro. He's not, you know, d- designing the car all by himself. He's part of a bigger team. And so he has objectives that are relative to other people. The, the performance appraisal or the review should not only cover what the individual did, but what the team did and what this person contributed to the team. And that's a big change from the way it used to be. I mean, when I got out of college in the 70s, performance reviews were about you and what you did, regardless of everybody else and the behaviors and the process you used. That doesn't work anymore because just you said, Mina, Managers don't really know what the employee's doing all day. They're, they're probably working with a team leader or a project leader. So, so good performance review process today encompasses both individual goals and individual achievements, but also the project itself and what contributions you made to the project and the rest of the team. And that gets into this issue that Lori was talking about, which is the how. The how actually is a performance metric. Because if you're doing a great job of hitting your numbers, but irritating everybody else and making everybody else miserable, well, maybe you shouldn't get such a high review. So that's why the process is so nuanced. Do you think that there is a movement toward less individualized reviews and more team-based reviews given the integration of teamwork or the kind of work that people need to do to be able to make a successful product or service or so on, Josh? Yes. I mean, in fact, there's a really interesting study that, that some Harvard guys did years ago um, about the negative impact of over uh, compensating people on individual goals. Because what happens is when you give everybody a whole bunch of individual goals, they don't really feel that it's in their 
best interest to help somebody else hit their goals if they're not going to hit their own individual goals. So you have to design a reward system that rewards team objectives or company objectives as well as individual objectives. And I think most companies learn that lesson the hard way, to be honest. You know, in the early days of performance appraisals, they, they think it's individual and then they kind of realize, wow, we're, this isn't moving the needle and we're actually encouraging a lot of bad behavior. So we need to broaden it. So it is definitely a trend and it comes up all the time with companies. Well, let me go next to caller Gwen in San Francisco. Gwen, you're on. Hi, um, I'm Gwen Carmen. I used to be, in fact, the mayor's teacher, London Bree. Oh, wow. And San Francisco Unified and Oakland both have this thing called its peer review or PAR. They call it PAR. So in if you get thrown into the PAR program, uh, you get an unsatisfactory evaluation from the principal. And usually most teachers, if they get that, they retire because no one passes it. And the district forces you either to retire or resign. And um, it's what happens is, you know, you get reviewed and uh, you pass or you don't pass. And so uh, Oakland and San Francisco can't afford to lose teachers. They need to lure them in. So most teachers quit. And after I got into that program, they wanted to get rid of me because I was always suing them for something. And, um, I, you know, I worked with the lady and she told me that she had to give me a failing performance because she just bought a condo, blah, blah, blah. And it's just, it's mm-hmm. like, you know, they, they need to, from corporate to education, they need to review your the annual review process. So, Gwen, thanks for bringing that up because, interestingly, we're getting a lot of questions along these lines, like what should you do, Lori, if you think your manager or company is using a performance review to try to push you out or fire you? Thank you for sharing that, Gwen. And I'm so sorry that you had such a negative experience at work. And I think that's exactly why there's suspicion around this process is because there are times when it works against you, despite your your best intentions at work. And um, one of the things that I think about is where in my company or where in an organization are there allies who might provide me the feedback I need to deal with a situation that's unfair. Sometimes the official channels can be really effective, like my human resource manager might um, really have wisdom and trust to help me through a situation. Um, Sometimes that doesn't exist in my organization. And one of the tools people often resort to is documenting what's actually happening as kind of fodder against false accusations they're having. And ultimately, um, many of these go against the employee because they have less authority or power in an organization. So when we work with companies, we really try to think about the incentives and the nudges that keep managers doing the best. And maybe as you said, Gwen, the the ways of catching 
when unusual behavior comes up that has nothing to do with the employees. So this makes me think a lot about how can we help companies and schools um, think about the ways to incentivize the positive feedback uh, part of the review and reduce this personalized um, negativity. So again, I'm so sorry you experienced it. And I think you're illuminating why we need to do better. Thanks, Gwen, for the call. Yeah, Leland writes, the worst part about performance reviews is the revelation of the arbitrary hierarchies of managers. Another listener writes, my husband recently had a performance review come back and was given a rating of three out of five, and yet he was told he was doing excellent at work. So the discrepancy there is quite astounding as to what that even means. We're assuming that he likely was not given a higher rating because they don't want to give a raise beyond the cost of living raise that he got, which was extremely minimal and less than what in inflation is actually like. Interesting, Josh, you were talking about why you don't think performance reviews are going to go away because they're going to need to use them probably, you know, to determine who gets what in terms of money and probably also to address cost pressures. But uh, do you think that cost pressures sort of are an invitation for arbitrary ways to diminish ratings even when someone is doing a good job? Yeah, I mean, Mina, I I think there's two ways to think about how you run an organization. One is we're going to think about the labor force as an expense, and we're going to minimize how much money we spend on people. And so we're going to do things like give this person a three because we don't really think we can afford to give him a big raise. So if we give him a three, we don't have to give him much of a raise. And we can save the money for the, the small percentage of people that get a one. Or you can just say to yourself, this company is dependent on the people. We're never going to be successful without the people. We want the best people to work here. We want the people to work here to be optimized at the best possible performance for themselves. And we'll pay them what they're worth. And maybe we don't need this forced ranking or for you know forced distribution process. And maybe you know the person who sent that message should have been a one just because he's great, regardless of the fact that somebody else is a one. And honestly, there's companies on both sides of that. I mean, what our research has pretty much shown is that the latter model, the prior model, isn't working anymore because you end up with mediocrity, frankly. Everybody who gets, I've gotten a three before, I won't mention where. (laughs) As soon as you you say to yourself, hmm, maybe I shouldn't be working here. It's just, it's just not good for the company or the individual. But it's it's part of that philosophy of are you willing to invest in the people in your company or not? Yeah, it is interesting. I hear time and time again that what employees really want is just to feel accurately recognized and genuinely valued for the work they do, um, even above and beyond sometimes pay scale as well. Well, we've got so many comments coming in. Tim writes, I've lived this process as an employee and a manager. I've also studied this topic as a doctoral student. The nature and type of biases in this process are well-known and thoroughly studied. Not only do we exhibit bias in terms of gender, ethnicity, etc., but also in-group, out-group biases, halo effect, and many others. We treat performance as though it can be measured objectively and precisely. We absolutely cannot. To the extent that we cannot accurately measure performance, how can we clearly rate that performance? It's interesting because some companies have come to the conclusion that they need to scrap the annual performance review completely. But it's not like they have scrapped, I think, the idea behind it, which is to be able to give employees feedback to be able to, you know, help them know how they're performing, but also maximize the productivity that you can get out of a particular 
employee as well. And I was wondering if you could talk about that a little bit more, Josh, with just with regard to what I feel like I'm seeing and reading a lot about, which is this idea of, okay, forget the annual performance review, but let's give even more feedback on a more timely basis. Are you seeing that too? Yeah. Well, I mean, first of all, management is all about feedback. And being a successful employee is all about being open to feedback, to be honest. So whether you have a performance review or not, a feedback-rich culture is a really important part of making an organization successful. Now, so, so I think that is just separate from performance reviews. I think companies force feedback during performance review because sometimes managers are chickens and they don't want to say what they really need to say. Um, I think the other side of this is this, you know, this issue that Right now, we're in, the unemployment rate is 3.7% or 3.8%. We have this real shortage of labor in virtually every industry, a shortage of technical skills, shortage of managerial skills, baby boomers be retiring. Most companies I talk to, and they tend to be bigger companies, are a little bit worried about draconian performance reviews and forcing a bunch of people out of the company when they may not be able to replace them. So um, I think we're moving to a world of developmental focus on this process, much more focus on helping people find the role where they can be the most successful as opposed to penalizing them for a lack of success in the role they're in and giving people coaching and development. I mean, you know, the two examples I would just cite, um, Microsoft literally turned itself around when they went from a punitive kind of performance process to a growth process. And Microsoft's now the one or two most valuable company in the world. Second company that's an example of this is Netflix. <clears throat> Netflix does not use performance reviews, but they have a reg very rigorous process of evaluating who they hire. And they do lots and lots of feedback. And Netflix is the most, it's the only streaming service that's making a profit and they're generating twice the revenue per employee of Google. So um, so this more enlightened approach to this process is now sort of playing itself out company by company. And I think people that work in the public sector or the education industry may not be seeing this, but in the business world, it, there is a big move towards this, this more enlightened approach. Hmm. I read this piece in the Wall Street Journal, Laurie, by Alyssa Lukpat that looked at companies, even companies in the Bay Area and what they're doing around trying to provide more feedback. And there's this makeup company, ELF, that is wanting their employees to give more feedback. And they feel like it's dependent on them really knowing who their employees are so or who their coworkers are, because it's a lot of peer-to-peer -peer feedback. And that one of the ways is to administer personality tests and to share the results. I'm wondering what you think about that. A, whether you think, yes, it's really important to really know uh, the coworker well, their personality traits and so on? And B, are you in favor of personality tests? That's such a great question. I absolutely agree that it's important to know our employees well. And I do have some concern around personality tests. Um, what I've seen um, is that you know, bias is often putting someone in a box and having that influence how we see them. And some of these personality tests inadvertently become shortcuts for saying why a certain behavior might be a certain way. So saying, oh, well, you're an introvert, therefore I know that's why you're not speaking up at meetings. That's not really getting to know the employee, that's putting them in a new box. Um, a company I find really interesting is called Ultranauts. It was designed by two um, people who wanted to create an, a workplace 
that supported neuro, neurodiverse people. And it turns out getting feedback is a source of great workplace anxiety, even more so for people who are neurodiverse. And so what they did was they created what they kind of like, you know, like a little playbook about me. And in that playbook, they said, they asked questions like, how do you like to get feedback on email, real time? You like to think about it um, and talk the next day. And getting to know someone in that way doesn't really put them in a new box. And so I think we need to be more creative in thinking about what employee preferences are in a ways that don't then put them into new boxes that get inadvertently used to, to kind of stereotype them. Hmm. And Lori, just so I'm clear, you are also supportive of the idea of regular feedback daily, weekly, that that more organizations seem to be looking at as opposed to a once a year review process that you do think that that is what employees need and want. Absolutely. I was reading an article by Justin Berg out of the Stanford Graduate School of Business and really looking at if you have a growth mindset approach, are you happier at work? And what they discovered is that you actually need dual growth. You need to think that you're not only growing in your job description, but also growing in the skills. So if you're only growing in your job description, you're not as happy. Or if you're only growing in your skills, but your job isn't changing, you're not as happy. So feedback can help people, especially know that they're growing in their skills. And combining that with growth in their work could also produce people feeling happier and more satisfied at work. And for me, at least, I know when I'm more satisfied, I definitely perform better. We're talking with Lori Nishira McKenzie of Stanford's VMware Women's Leadership Innovation Lab and Josh Burson, a corporate talent, human resources and technology analyst. And after the break, we'll look at how AI is being used to provide this more regular feedback and what you think. We'll have more after the break. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. 
This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking about how companies are changing how they measure performance and the future of performance reviews with Josh Burson and Lori Nishira McKenzie, both experts in this area. And we're talking with you, our listeners. What do you think of your organization's performance review system? Have you ever been surprised by a review that you got or detected any bias in the process? What was your best performance review experience and what made it possible? Are you in favor of more frequent and more monitoring to be able to provide that frequent feedback. The email address is forum at kqed.org. Our social channels are at KQED Forum. The phone number is 866-733-6786, 866-733-6786. And Jean writes, several years ago, I worked as an attorney for Big Pharma in New Jersey. At a performance review, I was criticized for being too aggressive and too opinionated. As an attorney who has paid big bucks to provide opinions, I was stunned. I then compared notes with several colleagues. Two others were similarly criticized. What did we have in common? We were all Jewish women from New York. (laughs) Another listener (laughs) writes, Another gene. It's not performance reviews per se. It's the way they're done. The current format can do more harm than good. Forced rankings is especially counterproductive since eventually even stellar performers can end up at the bottom of this pyramid. So I want to talk a little bit about how AI is being used right now to try to improve the performance um, review process, as also, as well as trying to improve the data that uh, employers are getting to be able to accurately review an employee. There's one, you know, very simple one that I understand is being used right now, which is AI chatbots are being used to help re- rehearse giving difficult feedback to each other. I'm curious, Josh, if there are other ways that you are seeing AI being used, um, you know, maybe in in more or different ways that involve really keeping tabs on employees. Yeah, there, there's actually some really creative, I think, positive things coming. I know it's a little scary to think that an AI is going to give you a review. But for example, Lori was talking earlier about the tendency for people to evaluate women differently from men using different language. There are tools that can actually read the text of a performance review and tell the person who wrote it, this is a biased word, this is a biased phrase, um, to teach the manager or the supervisor how to become more neutral. And that's really good stuff. Um, A second example is, you know, at the end of the year, let's suppose you do have to write a review for somebody and you really don't want to do it. And you kind of, you know, you, you tend to have recency bias. You remember what they did a month ago, but you don't remember what they did 10 months ago. Mm-hmm. Well, there's lots of AI tools that can summarize, you know, years of work listed for you. And, and so you can go back and say, wow, this guy did a lot this year. You know, I kind of forgot all the wonderful things he or she did. <clears throat> so that's another, you know, big benefit, writing assistance and so forth. The third is is sort of more scary, but it is being used in tech companies where companies are using AI, if you're, say, a software engineer, and they're looking at the code you wrote, and they're looking at how other people recommended it or highlighted it, and getting social cues on your performance and your productivity to help the company see who the really, really top engineers are without asking the opinions of the managers. So... Um, as I said before, I don't think performance reviews will ever go away. And so I think AI is going to help organizations get better data, hopefully, and be less biased. Um, I hope we never reach a world where the AI tells you what it thinks about your review, your performance. But, you know, that may come and we'll deal with it when it happens. 
I did read about a couple of other examples of using AI to evaluate workers' emails, the content of workers' emails to evaluate uh, people's contributions during a meeting or whether or not they dominated the conversation or not. All of that I find interesting and scary at the same time. Lori would love to hear what you think about AI and evaluating employees. Does it have, especially since you work on bias, do you think it is a way for us to address bias or do you think it invites more? such a great question. And I think of it in two parts. One is what data is useful for AI to help us with? And as Josh was saying, sometimes our brain has these faults. And so data that helps us then evaluate more equitably, that seems like a great use of AI. And the second way I think about it is how do we help organizations as they try to operationalize performance reviews, think of the context in which it's happening So oftentimes we don't think enough about what do we need to do as a team, as an organization to create a sense of safety for giving really hard feedback, that it's something that we have a kind of a container for. And so as we might move towards more operational ways to do feedback, we also need to provide more human containers for people to think about the meaning of it how I'm going to experience getting it or giving it and ensure that the human component isn't left aside as we think more specifically about the data that we're collecting through AI chatbots or or listening devices. Well, the listener writes, I'm a software engineer. In one of my reviews, my manager told me that my code was so beautiful that he could put it on a wall. Then he told me that he was giving me a lower review because of the beautiful code. He said, if my code was so gorgeous, I could have written more code in that time. I am female. Do we think that was a factor? Sita writes, performance reviews are fraught with personal bias, no matter what processes organizations have in place. How can organizations make review processes objective? Is there a way to continuously assign weight or value to contributions made during the year? So it is apparent during appraisal. We were wondering if um, AI was one way to do that. But, you know, in the absence of that, is there a way to make it more objective? What are your thoughts on that, uh, Lori? You know, it's really interesting. We have what I'll call the myth of meritocracy. We believe that we ultimately can make really fair decisions about everything. And it turns out that when we really believe there already is a meritocracy, we stop doing the really productive behaviors like self-scrutiny or like questioning whether we're writing differently about people. So one of the downsides about these aids to make reviews less personal is that the managers might assume the technology has taken the bias out of everything. And then as they interact, they may in fact be more biased in their interactions with their employees. So there was one great study done where they had what they called blind auditions for a tech role and very non-traditional people. So people who didn't learn coding at a university or who were self-taught those people performed really high, but none of them made it through the interview process because ultimately the managers didn't know how to evaluate someone who didn't have a similar background to them. And the people who were non-traditional weren't as comfortable in those corporate environments. And for me, that's always a cautionary tale. We might try to weed bias out of a process, but we as humans have it. And will we bring it back even stronger assuming that technology has handled it for us. So we really need to think about that. 
Let me go to caller Peggy in Montero. Peggy, you're on. Uh, yes. Um, I was hiking with the CEO on a trip, and I asked him, why is it that people at the top aren't interested in feedback from people doing the work because they often have really good ideas about how to improve the product, and sometimes people are punished from making suggestions. He said, we don't care about the product. All we want to do is build up the company to a point where we can sell it for more of a profit than we bought it for. So I was just wondering why feedback doesn't go both ways. Oh, interesting. Well, that sounds like that organization had a very specific objective. So maybe performance (laughs) evaluations aren't really of the growth and development mindset that some of them or Josh was saying that many of them has switched to. But I do want to ask you about what Peggy's bringing up in terms of feedback going both ways. I actually find that this is a big trend, Josh, that that subordinates giving feedback to managers is encouraged. A, what do you think about this conceptually? And B, do you think it's working? Because from a lot of people, I hear that the process is quite fraught and you can be punished for giving feedback upwards to the people who have the capacity to hire or fire you or, you know, well, make your I, life harder. You know, I, I'm really glad actually that question was asked because I really think things have changed and they are changing faster and faster by the minute. We call it what we call employee activation. There was some research done just at the end of the year. I think it was Gallup that 80% of employees be today believe that the company should accommodate their needs, not that they should accommodate the company's needs. Some of this is young people feeling you know, empowered. I think it's the low unemployment rate. It's coming out of the pandemic, all sorts of reasons for this. And, um, and of course, all of the good ideas that come from the company do come from the employees. And usually the frontline employees know more about what's going on than the people at the top. So, uh, and that's the reason we had the most labor shortages and strikes last year than we've had in something like 22 years. I think we're in a new sort of management environment where um, CEOs that don't listen to their employees are going to be sorry. Um, And yeah, you know, you can punish an employee for speaking out on social media, but it makes the company look even worse than the the employee. So I think this is a good thing because honestly, I've always felt that employees, in some sense, are the most vested stakeholders in the company that the company has because, you know, customers can always buy another product and investors can always buy another stock. The employees are living in the company all day. And when they have comments and feedback, we should be listening to it. So I think this is a big new trend. And I'm, I'm really glad um, that that came up. Well, Lori, what can a manager do to encourage meaningful feedback about their performance? from their subordinates. You know, as Josh said, nobody likes to get feedback. So just as we think about coaching managers to give employee feedback, I also think we can help share with employees how to give managers feedback because as they progress up the organization, they're going to have to be managers someday. And so thinking about growth, are you helping your manager grow as a manager so that they can manage you better? Are you just criticizing them? How can you think about the environment you want and then give advice or feedback to your manager how to produce that? So I think, and of course, I I always value training, but thinking about how to help people do it well, whether you're giving it up or down is an important part of the equation. 
The Zisner writes, I find performance reviews of little impact. They're just a way to receive a bonus or raise. What I find actually empowering was every time my supervisor or, or coworker appreciated my work in passing, as well as when I'd actively seek their opinions and chat about opportunities for improvement. Uh, let me remind listeners you are listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking with Lori Nishira McKenzie of Stanford VMware Women's Leadership Innovation Lab and Josh Burson, author of Irresistible, The Seven Secrets of the World's Most Enduring Employee-Focused Organizations and a Corporate Talent, Human Resources, and Technology Analyst. And we're talking with you, our listeners. Let me go next to Carol in Campbell. Carol, you're on. Hi. Thank you, Mina. Um, This is a little bit in response to the educator that called. Um, and I kind of find it paradoxical that we need teachers, but the reviews are so um, seemingly arbitrary or weighted. Um, I'm a part-time faculty and union board member in um, a community college district here in the South Bay. And I've also been a grievance officer. And part of our review pro- uh, procedure um, includes not just deans reviewing um, the part-time faculty, but uh, full-time faculty reviewing part-time faculty. So teachers with tenure are basically protected and can help decide the fate of the part-timers who actually make up about 70 to 75 percent of the working um, instructors. And so our union has sat in on a few grievances about this process um, because, you know, you can arbitrarily get someone who doesn't like you or doesn't work well with you besides the dean, right? And so I realize that unions aren't available to everyone, but California has some pretty great ones, not just AFT, um, but CFT, California Federation of Teachers. So I just wanted to mention that and put it into the um, mix because, you know, another teacher called in earlier. Mm, Okay. um, Yeah. Yeah. Well, appreciate that, Carol, very much. And it's making me think about... Josh, and I'll also ask you, Lori, what are the signs from a performance review experience that you may actually want to consider leaving the place that you work for because it's not a place where you feel like you can do your best work or that you're being acknowledged or supported in a way that enables you to do your best work? Can a performance review be revealing of that, Josh? Yeah, I want to make one point before that. You know, I think sure. I think there's a tendency to believe that all managers are perfect. Being a manager is not easy. Um, figuring out how to give people feedback without hurting their feelings, knowing what to say, being unbiased. We have to train managers and we have to support them too. Yeah. Um, and that's why there's all sorts of checks and balances or there should be on performance management. Yeah, I mean, if you're working for a company and you're getting poor ratings and the management team doesn't understand the skills and the capabilities you have, and you feel like you're being treated unfairly, and you've raised the issue, at least with HR, maybe with your manager, maybe you don't fit there. I mean, there are a lot of jobs right now, and sometimes there's culture fits where you don't fit in the particular culture of the organization you're in. If you're a real hard charger, you may not want to work for a slow-moving company, and if you're more you know, sort of passive in your career, you may not want to work for a real hard charging company. And I think that's okay. I think that's just the nature of the job market. Yeah. And as you say, employees are a poor fit. They are definitely employees out there who are poor performers. But I think what what's coming through in all of this is that that should be addressed 
early and often, <laughs> or at least often. For example, Jim writes, as I matured as a manager, I realized that written evaluations are not important. Every time I have significant coaching for my employees, good or bad, I just tell them. I don't wait for some arbitrary year-end event. Getting feedback often gives employees more opportunities to grow and improve. It also decreases the fear of getting coaching because it becomes a routine thing. And I think that that is so important. So again, back to you, Lori, about like if you're if how you should think of your performance review as a way to understand and appreciate um, whether or not you should stay at an organization, because I think it was, you know, as you pointed out, the crux of a career can be based on how you're evaluated and the opportunities that you are given as a result of that evaluation. You know, people often say that you leave a manager, not an organization. And that mm. really is the experience of so many people that wow. they have a, an, an ever-moving goalpost. Their manager says, do this and you'll get promoted and you do it and you don't get promoted. And, and oftentimes it's not because you haven't performed, but that your manager isn't really focusing on maybe that they're giving opportunities to some people and not to others. And so... One of the things I'd say if you're in that situation and you're not sure, you love your company, but you're not getting the feedback you need to, to see if there could be, even within the organization, a manager who's known for giving fair and effective feedback. Um, it could even be that you wait and get what you want from the organization and then, as Josh said, find another opportunity. And so um, I wouldn't say that it's always a one-for-one, one, you get a review you don't like and you should leave. But it could be a signal that maybe there isn't something there that works for you. And if your manager really wants feedback about what's not working and they demonstrate that they take that feedback and change, maybe it's also a signal for your manager to see something they didn't realize they were doing in the process. So I, I'm kind of a hopeaholic. I believe people genuinely <laughs> want to help one another. And I hope we can get past the negativity of performance reviews and, and help employees grow to their best of ability because I think that's what all managers ultimately do want. Yeah, well, this listener writes, my favorite review, this is Dave, a week before my mid-season evaluation, I had a run-in with the boss of a team I was not a member of. He was remarkably immature and I told him off. During my evaluation, I was told I was doing well in A, B, C, and D and they said I should not be calling supervisors pinheads. I said, fine, if that's the worst you got, I'll take it. Lori Nishira McKenzie and Josh Burson, thank you both so much for talking with us about performance reviews, why they're dreaded, how they're changing, and I hope they will improve. <laughs> My thanks also to Dan Zoll for producing today's segment. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set ten years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Soul the Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Soul the Story are available now.